You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the lives of faithful Old Testament believers. We're calling By Faith. With this week's message, here's senior pastor Lance Bourgeois. One of the things that is fun to me is when I realize that there are these underrated joys in life, those things that kind of fly by the radar that you may not think of. Last year, Ellen and I decided to get some bikes. We were going to ride in the bike race for the first time, uh, and we did it. I will tell you, I I think we both grew up riding bikes. I don't know that I'd been on a bike since I was a kid. Uh, And so we got bikes, and we go out riding. And as we go out there one day, it, it was a of absolute scientific phenomenon, no matter which way I turned, it felt like the wind was in my face, which I don't even know how that makes any sense, but that was true. And so what happened is we talked to some friends of ours and they were like, why did you ride at, such, at that time? Didn't you know the winds would be worse? I'm like, I, truthfully, I've never paid attention to when the winds are worse. And they go, did you check the winds? I'm like, no, I didn't check the winds either. I didn't even know people did that, but apparently you do. And so the impact of the elements around us can really weigh on us, right? I'll give you another time. If you've driven a car very long, you may have had one of these moments. Think about those times where you're driving down the interstate and you have a downpour of rain, right? And so you've got the thing where people are driving with their hazard lights on and and you're not supposed to do that, but you got people with the hazard lights on, your windshield wipers are going crazy, it's loud as the rain's hitting the car, Uh, it's hard to see, you're looking for taillights in front of you, right? And then you have that glorious moment, right? You drive under an overpass. And what happens in that moment? It's quiet, you can see, and it's great. And what you know is what? In about two seconds, it's all over again. And the thunderstorm is back in your face, and that's how we're going to go. And you learn to get, oh man, here comes an overpass. Doesn't that sound like a lot like the, lot, uh, a lot like the life of faith? is that we have moments where it feels like we're in the deluge of rain, we've got the wind, and then you have moments. And you always kind of wish the overpasses were a little bit wider, but you have those moments, right, where it's like there feels like peace and calm. There's wind, there's rain, there's all around you, make no mistake, but for you in your car, there's that moment where there just feels like there's a little bit of vision, clear vision and transparency and a little bit of quiet. And it feels like that is so often the life of faith. As we go through these moments where there's storms are hitting us and then we can go through and pass under an overpass and all of a sudden we feel a little bit of calm, but what we know is we're gonna get to the other side and all of a sudden then we're gonna feel that storm and that wind again. If you were here with us last week, we started the story of Abraham and Sarah. And so today is really part two of that story. If you've got a copy of Scripture, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open it up, whether or not it's a physical copy uh, or if you're using the digital copy, uh, to Hebrews chapter 11. So last week when we were talking, and we were talking about the gift of what the Lord had promised Abraham and Sarah, at 75 years old, he said, I'm not done with you, Abraham. We're getting ready to start a new thing. And so at 75 years, I want you to pack up, I want you to leave, and you've got land coming, and you've got seed, there's going to be a child and a lineage, and then there's going to be blessing. And so even as we talked about the fact that, okay, he'd find a piece of land, he'd find a place to to plant himself, 
And then he would find a way to make life work and have provisions. But that seed thing, having a child, that's kind of beyond your control. Especially when you were the age that Abraham and Sarah were, they made, the scriptures make it clear, is that Sarah was past childbearing years, Abraham was too old, and that was the one part of the three promises that had not been fulfilled. So here they are 25 years later. And if you think with me, when somebody makes me a promise, even if they don't put a timetable on it, I tend to think that the promise is going to be fulfilled pretty quickly. But if you don't get that promise fulfilled very quickly, then you can imagine what begins to happen is you begin to maybe doubt. You begin to doubt, did I hear God right? Did I hear this promise made correctly? Was the person who made the promise, were they not capable of following through on the promise? Did they forget about the promise? So here we are, it's been 25 years, and we find ourselves in a situation where Abraham and Sarah have not gotten pregnant yet. And so the Lord shows up with some angels and said, this time next year, you're going to have a child. Name, they end up naming him Isaac. That's where our story picks up uh, today. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 before we go back and look at the narrative account. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise, promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, if we think through this, there's a lot of words here, and obviously the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us that this is what a faith, life of faith really looks like. It's a supreme test for Abraham. It's a test I'm grateful the Lord's never called me to, and I would echo that I think, you, I think you would echo the same thing. But let's begin with this idea of a test and what a test is. You know, a test inherently isn't bad. Now, if you didn't study, you may not like it. If you were somebody who performed well on tests, you loved the chance to show what you knew. But a test, by definition, is really just a measurement. This is where we stand. And so you, if you'd taken a test before, you could look and say, this test is to measure how far I've come from the last test, right? It's just going to show me how I grew, how I developed, how I matured, the things that, that bogged me down last time. I've grown through them. I've matured. Or you can look at it moving forward, right? Is I need to know where I stand today because I've got something coming up and I need to know where my weak spots are so that I can prepare for what lies ahead. So you can look at it either way, but when we come to this, this is an opportunity by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, Abraham is the one who's going to get tested. And the test is going to be Isaac, his son. What an incredible moment. This isn't just any son. This is the son they prayed for. This was the son that God said you're going to have. This is going to be the legacy. This is going to be your future. And the test is you need to offer him up as a sacrifice. Now, let that set in. Let, let us feel the weight of what's coming on here because you and I could look up and say, how in the world is this going to be the test? This is heavy. Lord, this is too much. And we go on and you can say, God is going to have to resurrect him, right? And, and he says as much in this. He's going to have to raise him from the dead. If I'm going to sacrifice him, then God's going to have to raise him because he's the legacy. He's the future. And isn't that the essence of faith? 
Let's look at two things that are going on in this, in this situation if you're Abraham. God has said he's the legacy, he's the future, he's the seed, he's how we're moving forward, he's the fulfillment of the promise. That's A. You ready for B? You need to offer him as a sacrifice. A, he's the future, B, he's the sacrifice. And you and I are left to say, wait a minute, how can those two things simultaneously be true? So over and over again, you're going to hear me say this today, is you and I will always get in trouble when our faith tries to rationalize or philosophically grasp what God is going to do to connect A and B. We will never be able to connect those things. So what we know is this, God said, I'm going to do it. B, he said to go do this. We need to trust that God will do what he says he's going to do, and we need to obey what he calls us to go do, okay? Trust and obey. It's that old song. And so he finds himself in a situation where he's looking around and saying, okay, he's going to have to be resurrected, figuratively speaking. Well, of course he could think that, because what he's already seen the Lord do is make a resurrection already, right? Because Sarah had a closed womb. She was past childbearing years. The Lord's already resurrected a womb, which provided the opportunity for Isaac to be born. So we've got this going on. And I love these words from John Calvin, where he writes, Abraham did not bind the power of God to the life of Isaac, but was persuaded that it would be effective in his ashes when he was dead, no less than when he was alive and breathing. In other words, what he's saying is, A, God said that he's the legacy. B, he did call Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And what he's saying is, look, whether we're living in A, whether we're living in B, it doesn't matter. God has said he's the future A. And what God's going to have to do is whether or not he's building a legacy out of Isaac's ashes or whether Isaac has breath in his lungs, either way, God's power will not be thwarted. God has said, I'm going to do it. He's the legacy. And so that lesson that was learned, and we looked at this verse last week, is anything too hard for the Lord? See, there was a moment in time where they looked up and said, there's no way. Matter of fact, it was so laughable. Abraham laughed, and then Sarah laughed, and then they named Isaac laughter. And all of a sudden they said, everybody's going to laugh. Because the answer now was, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the end of chapter 18, the answer is, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And so, built on that faith lesson, Abraham moves forward into our passage today. Jump with me back, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. We begin with our story in verse 1. I call it story. It's a narrative account. These are real people like you and me, flesh and blood, struggles, hopes, dreams, fears, anxieties, and all these things. They are recorded for us as a biblical account of what the life of faith looks like. So Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, let's just stop for a second. We've got Abraham, who once again, God is calling into a situation. Abraham's enthusiastic. And so when God calls, he steps up and says, here I am, Lord. What are my marching orders? What do you have for me today? Which is an incredible statement of faith. And later, we'll look at other people who have said the same thing. But we've got this incredible life of faith that because God's been faithful, as Abraham has been growing in his faith, 
He now has the opportunity that when God calls, Abraham has the heart that says, oh, this is going to be good. I don't know what he has for me, but he's got something for me. God says, Abraham, he's like, okay, Lord, I'm ready. What do we know or what do you have for me now? Verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, just pause a second. He's got a son. He knows it. And the Lord is using all these intensifying words to help us really grasp the emotion of what's coming. So I don't want you to miss that. I want us to understand that this is a child that Abraham and Sarah had prayed for. They sought after. God gave that to them. And now they have him. And listen to the emotional words that are used. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him, him, who? Isaac, there is a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, feel the weight of what's going on there. What a moment. How is this what God's calling us to do. God, you asked me to get up and go. I did. You told me you're going to give me land, seed, and blessing. You, you have. I've gone. You gave me the son. It took a long time. We had some missteps along the way, but now we have our son. Life is good. Now I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to play out my hand, and I'm going to live out my life in this new chapter that you've given me. And now this is what you bring into my life? Now, he says, your only son, which is an interesting phrase, because if you know any of the story, is part of what happens in, in Abraham and Sarah's life is this. Abraham was promised he was going to have a son. We have not seen yet at that moment that Sarah was going to have a son. And so Sarah says, well, here is my maidservant, Hagar. Go have a child with her. And so Abraham goes and has a child with Hagar. His name's Ishmael. And so now all of a sudden we've got Hagar and Ishmael, and Sarah was still waiting for her child. Now Sarah has Isaac. And so when you look back at chapter in 21, we read these words. So Sarah says to Abraham, cast out this slave woman, Hagar and her son Ishmael, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir. You see the picture? Is Sarah and Abraham have not been able to conceive. So Sarah says, take my maidservant Hagar, and she has a son. Now, now uh, Sarah has her son, Isaac, and she goes to Abraham and said, there is no way the two of us are going to coexist with our sons in this household. You need to send her away. Send her away. Her son's not going to be the heir. Isaac, our son, is going to be there. So send them away. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. Now, I want you to feel the weight of that because Abraham even though that whole situation got cloudy and had sin and all those things in it, is Abraham looks at Ishmael and still says, that's my son. I care about him. He's my offspring. And he may not be the heir, but that doesn't mean he doesn't matter. And it doesn't mean he doesn't need to be cared for or nurtured or protected. So we find ourselves in a situation where Sarah says to Abraham, send him away. You see Abraham's heart? It was very displeasing to him. Oh, that's my son. That's my son. You want me to send him away and just care for him as though he doesn't matter? So he goes before the Lord, which is where we should take all of our heartache and despair, right? He goes before the Lord, and God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman, 
Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He's got a, his heart is hurting. He goes to the Lord and says, what do I do? And the Lord says, do what Sarah says. Send Hagar and Ishmael away. I'll take care of them. And that's another part of the story, that he will take care of them, that God sees them. And he says, the legacy will go through Isaac. So when we come back to this passage, look back down if you would. Take your son, your only son. You sent the other one away. Now, God affirmed doing that, but take your son, the only son, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I will tell you. Now, I got to believe, I shared this quote last week from Tony Evans. You have to believe that God knows what he's doing when he's not doing what you want him to do, okay? Have we all been there? Now, aren't we grateful that you and I can think we have the best possible plan and when God doesn't do our plan, then we're left with the question, who has the wrong plan, God or me? And the answer is, we have to believe that when God's not doing what we're, we want him to do, there's a better plan. And God is executing the better plan. That ought to be grounds for us to saying, thank you, Lord, for not doing what I thought you should do, because I'm not omniscient. I don't know all things. You do. So we get ourselves in this position where all of a sudden they begin to go on this journey. Now, their journey is this, from Beersheba up to Mount Moriah, okay? So it's about a 50-mile walk. It's about a three-day journey, okay? 50 miles, three-day up to Mount Moriah. Now look back at the story with, with me, if you would. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. Now, that early that next morning, I got to tell you, if you've ever had a morning where you had to wake up and do something that you didn't want to do, how many of us get up and get after it very quickly? You got a difficult situation at work. You've got a different conversation that has to come up. You have to confront somebody. You have to deal with somebody. You got a big problem. You got to go meet with the bank, whatever it is. And you think early in the morning, alarm goes off and you think, snooze, I'll pray, I'll pray about it some more, right? And so you stay there in bed and you pray about it a little bit longer. Abraham rises early in the morning, which is an incredible step of faith because it's the guy that says, here I am. And I think all the things like, oh, this is going to be good. I do not know what the Lord's going to do, but the Lord's name's on the hook. He promises this is going to be exciting. So I can't wait to start my day. So come on, I'm going to get my son Isaac. I'm going to get these two uh, household servants of mine, and we're going to go. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went on the place uh, where God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Now, I want you to think with me about what this journey would have been like, because Abraham's a man like us. He's going, he's got two servants that are traveling with him in Isaac. Abraham is the only one that knows what's happening, okay? So you've got two servants that are going with him. They're there to help carry stuff. Isaac is carrying stuff. Isaac knows they're going to have a sacrifice, but he doesn't know that he's going to be the sacrifice. There's Abraham. There's Abraham walking on that journey for three days. Now, if I were to ask you to consider, what do you think is going through Abraham's mind? I would imagine that it would sound something like this kind of dialogue. Lord, I don't know what you're doing. Lord, this is hard. Lord, I, you've never once failed me. Even that time where you said we were going to have a kid one year from now. And you asked the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? And at the time, I didn't, 
I didn't think anything was too hard for you. I kind of questioned it, but I didn't really think anything was too hard for you. But you know what? You did. You showed up, and we had the kid. We got Isaac. And then he walks a little bit, and he thinks, oh, I remember when I laughed about it. And then I think he probably thought, I remember when Sarah laughed about it, and God said, why is she laughing? I'm thinking, who's laughing? I, did, I, I didn't hear her laugh. Oh, but she did laugh. And then I'm thinking, she, thinking about him watching Isaac learn how to walk. I think about him watching Isaac learn how to play and make friends and all the things that are there. We're going to find out that Isaac is carrying part of the bundle of the wood. So he's obviously got some strength to him. So he's grown up a little bit at least. Memory after memory after memory as they walk with the idea that says, Lord, you want me to, you want me to sacrifice our son A, he's the legacy. B, sacrifice. How do I reconcile those? Because the life of faith seems to be really lived, doesn't it, when we can't reconcile those two? I trust you. I will obey you. And so off they go. So as he begins to look up, it may feel like one of those times, I think about times when Ellen would call me and the kids were sick and she'd call him like, hey, I need you to come home now. And like, I could barely hear her because the kids are crying on the phone. And so I start driving. I think, okay, I'm going to drive. But if I never pull into my driveway, that'd be okay. Because the moment I get in the driveway, I will not be enough for whatever needs to happen inside that house. And I wonder if Abraham starts that journey. He's like, you know what? If I never get to Mount Moriah, that would be just fine with me. But off he goes. Then Abraham said to his young men, Say with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Because if we're really honest, there are moments in our walk with the Lord that we can't bring anybody else to. They are so intimate, they are so personal. It is literally between us and God. And those two servants are not invited into it. You two stay here. But then he has this moment where he says, well, Isaac has to go. So Isaac and I are going to go. And then he says, we're going to worship. Now think with me about what a statement that is. If you would allow me to have a little bit of freedom here in the way that I describe worship, maybe worship looks like this. is the recognition that I have a moment where I recognize who God is in, con in contrast to who I am. And in that moment, I'm willing to bow and worship the God who I know to be God with the recognition that I'm not God, but that God loves me. If we can use that as a definition, then that definition is, he looks up and says, okay, you two stay here. Isaac, you and me, we're going together. Hey, servants, what we're going to do is this. You stay here. Me and the boy, we're going to go worship. We're going to go have a moment where we're going to understand at a deeper level who God is, who we are. We're not God. He is. And we will be amazed at that. And we will give him all the honor and reverence that he is due. And then you catch the end of it. And then we're going to come back. Now, what a moment that's going to be. I, I don't know what he's thinking that's going to be. But think with me about that moment. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both went, uh, so they both went, both of them together. Off they go. Two same behind, father and son. Son, carry the wood. I'll carry the knife and the fire. Somewhere in that journey, verse 7, 
Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and here's Abraham again, here I am, my son, Isaac. Behold, we got fire, we've got wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I'm sure Abraham is thinking, oh, I was hoping you were never going to ask me that question. Because it's now registered. Isaac's looking around. If we're really honest, isn't this the life of faith that not only when we deal with A's and B's and what God has said and what God tells us to do, but if we want to talk about how do we train the next generation for faith, we've got to invite them to walk alongside us, and we have to let them see the journey like, uh, well, here's the thing is we know that God said you're the legacy, and we know that God is saying for me to do this, and so I'm going to walk with him. And if the child says, well, I don't understand how A and B go together, then you and I have the privilege of saying, I don't either, but it's not up to me to figure it out. God said A, he told me to do B. My doing B is not conditional on whether or not I understand A. He tells me to do it, I'm going to do it. And so off I go. And so he invites him into this journey where he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And then we just get this phrase. So they went on both of them together. You know what that is? That's a son trusting his father, right? Hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? God's going to provide it. I was just like, okay, let's just keep going. And off they go. And yet I'm sure that for, for Isaac, he's just still thinking God's going to provide. That's enough for him. Abraham's the one that knows what's going on more fully. And all of his trust and faith is on the fact that God's going to provide. What an incredible moment. When they came to the place at which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Uh, it just took another turn, didn't it? Everything set up. The plan is a little more clear now as Isaac is bound and laid across the altar. The things that had been on Abraham's mind are now apparent to Isaac. I wonder if Isaac's thinking, Dad seems distracted. Dad seems rather disengaged. And maybe now he's getting the idea of what's going on. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Remember Dr. Ron Allen talking about the fact you always see the images of Abraham with this knife reared all the way back, and, and that's really not what it would have been. When you sacrifice, sacrifice an animal, you would have sacrificed by, uh, by slaying its neck. And so you, what you would have is Abraham on this altar, and you've got him bound, and you've got Abraham raising the knife and putting it to his son's neck. Now let that sit there for a second. He's the future. I want you to sacrifice him. How do those go together? Whether or not it's ashes or whether there's breath in his lungs, God's capable, God's able. He will do what he says he's going to do. And while we can read this as a text, it says, okay, he's sitting there, maybe he's shaking, and, and I wonder what's going on in Isaac's mind. Is Isaac crying? Are his eyes open? Are his eyes shut? Dad, please don't do this. Wonder what's going through Abraham's mind. God, you said A, but you told me to do B, and all of my faith is that you will fulfill this. I've got nowhere else to go. 
And the verb in the original language is really clear when it says that when he lifted the knife, that it was a completed action, is that when Abraham put that knife to Isaac's throat, is that it was a completed action. There was not hesitancy. He had made the decision, this is it. Then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Let me tell you, I, I'm convinced there's never been a better here I am in my life. Lord, what are you doing? Are you stopping this? Lord, you're stopping this. Please stop this. I don't want to do this. He said, the Lord, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I think Abraham's faith is still strong. I think he's still looking up and saying, Lord, this is what you called me to do. I believe A, I don't know how B is going to work, but you didn't ask me how. You just said do B, and that's enough for me, so I'm going to obey. And all of a sudden, everything is there. What a moment. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. All right, what do you think those eyes are? Teary-eyed? Relieved? He goes from looking at his son, and whatever he was saying to his son as this moment was happening, Abraham, Abraham, Yes, Lord, here I am. Abraham looks up, tear, teary eyes, confused, emotional, full emotions of the pain and the despair, I think, and maybe where he was and how is God going to do this, the confusion of the moment, to now the relief of the moment, equally emotional. And we find ourselves saying this, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Remember when, when Isaac's going up the mountain with him, he says, but Lord, where's the sacrifice? Excuse me, Abraham, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide. The Lord's going to provide. Remember when he tells the servants, hey, you stay here. Isaac and I, we're going to go to the top. We're going to worship and then we're going to come back down. And they've had this moment. God stopped them, provided a substitute, and now all of a sudden, this is what's going on. Verse 17, excuse me, verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The Lord provides. Now, if you would allow me to show you something. If you look there in your scripture, see how the Lord there in verse 14 is written in small caps. You can't tell from the L. It's a capital L. Where you can tell is the, the R and the D, is that there are capital R, the capital R and a capital D, but they're just smaller. They're shorter. Is anytime you see that in the Old Testament, is it is replacing the name Yahweh. So whenever you see Lord written that way, the Hebrew text actually says Yahweh. What's Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal name that he entrusted to his people that we could know him by name and call him by name. 
It also is, speaks to his character, that he's the covenant-keeping God that does good for all, of his genera- for, for all of his people, generation after generation. He's everlasting. All of those attributes, all of those perfections of his. So when we come to this, what I would really love for you to recognize is the Lord, is Yahweh, will provide, is the word Yaira. If you've ever heard the no- name Jehovah Jaira, this is where it kind of comes from. Kind of? Because it doesn't say Jehovah, it says Yahweh. Yaira is true. You know how you get Jehovah? You take the consonants of one of God's names, Yahweh, you take the vowels of another one of his names, Adonai, and then you put them together, and when you put the vowels of one name with the, con- excuse me, the consonants of one name with the vowels of another name, you know what you get? Jehovah which is not a name of God. It's not an ascribed name of God. It's not a biblical name for God. It is a combination of consonants from one word and vowels of another word put together. I would encourage you that when you and I go to pray to our covenant-keeping God who gave you and me his personal name is that we use the name Yahweh and we use Yahweh Yaira. He wants us to know his name. And so when we come to this, I want to go back to this map. See, where they started in Beersheba and they start going to Mount Moriah, is that's a three-day journey. It's a long walk, 50 miles. And if you think, where have I heard the name Mount Moriah before? Well, Chronicles tells us, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at the place that David had appointed. Because you know what? When we put it in context, that what we see is this. Mount Moriah is where the Temple Mount was built, where all of those animal sacrifices were performed for over and over and over and over again. That when Jesus was on the cross and he was crucified on the cross, that the veil in the temple was split in half, granting everybody full access to the very presence of God. Because what we've got to come to grips with is this reality. We've got a lot of parallels here. We've got fathers and sons. We've got Abraham and Isaac. We have God the Father and God the Son in Jesus. We have Isaac carrying the wood to go sacrifice himself. We have Jesus carrying the cross on the way to sacrifice himself. We have Isaac being spared with a substitute. We have Jesus not being spared because God did not spare his own son but gave himself up for all of us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God told Abraham, your son will not be sacrificed on this mountain, but my son will. Why? For you and me because of his great love. So when we come to this story, we see a substitute. He got one. The Lord didn't. Because the Lord became my substitute and your substitute. And so if, if you're hearing, you're saying, I don't know this God. I don't understand this God. Okay. But know this. The God of heaven loves you and wants a relationship with you. He did everything to make it possible to know you. His son came to this earth. And where his sin had drove a wedge between us and God, and that penalty of that wedge, that separation, is death. The Lord paid it so that we didn't have to pay it. But Jesus came and took on flesh, and he went to the Mount Moriah. He went to the Temple Mount. He went 
to the cross, carrying his own, the own implements of his death, so he could pay a price for you and for me. Isaac was spared. Jesus wasn't. You know who was spared? Isaac and then everybody else. We were spared because of his great love for you and for me. And that's what he did for us there. That God in his great love for you and me did not spare his son, Jesus Christ. And that we move into that relationship on the basis of the life Jesus lived, the death that he died, that when he walked out of that grave on day three, he had paid the penalty for our sin, breaking the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and one day the presence of sin, such that we may know him. See, all of that comes together for us in this story, and we get a chance to see him. But when we come to this, I, I do want to call attention to this verse 14 again. So Abraham called the name of that place Yahweh Yireh. And I wonder what it looks like for you and me to commemorate spiritually significant moments in our life. Because I don't think they ever forgot it. This is a tough passage. Make no mistake, this is a tough passage to teach. And we're told that it's a test, but let's be real clear on a couple of things. The Lord wasn't being tested in this. This test was Abraham. And the test for Abraham was, after the gift of your son, did your son become your first love or am I still your first love? And within that, the Lord is omniscient. He lives in the eternal present. That'll blow your mind if you let your brain go there. He doesn't have a past and he doesn't have a future. He lives in the eternal present. I don't think Isaac was ever going to be sacrificed. The Lord wasn't being put to the test. Abraham was. Abraham who do you love more? Do you love the future with your son or do you love me present in today? And all of a sudden, I think we look up and we see, okay, at the end of this test, did Abraham know himself better? He did. Could he trust God? He absolutely did. Any level of does Yahweh provide? Oh, Yahweh, Yaira. I think all of that draws him in and grows his faith into what's going on. Turn with me, if you would, over to Mark chapter 4. Because when we're driving either on the interstate in that rain or when we find ourselves riding the bike and the wind's always in our face, maybe some, at some point you turn your bike and the wind's at your back, and those are glorious moments, right? But I want to call attention to the story in Mark 4, verses 35, starting in verse 35, where we read this. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took Jesus with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, Jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Isn't that always the question that we ask? When we get caught between A and B, Jesus, don't you care? Where are you? You say you care. It doesn't seem like you care. You're just down there asleep. Verse 39, and Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. 
know what's incredible about this life of faith? It can feel like we're in that, that downpour and we get under the overpass and we take that deep breath. You can be riding on that trail and think the wind's always in your face and then you get a little bit of a turn and all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's better here. You know what's encouraging to me about this life of faith? Yeah, it feels like the interstate with all the rain and get under the overpass and I think, I would love to live under the overpass, but the overpass never seems to last long enough. You know what this passage encourages me? It's when I drive out from under the overpass and the rain is back that I can look at Jesus and like, do you care? And you know what he does? He rebukes the wind, says, peace, calm, all come back, and I can be surrounded by the chaos of the rain and the wind, and I've got peace and calm in my soul as I continue to drive through the rain. Because this life is full of thunderstorms. And I've got to tell you, I don't think Abraham ever lost this lesson. So to the one who can calm the wind and the rain, I think we've got a few lessons that I wanted to share with you. One is this, when God calls us, step forward and say, here I am, jump into his call. Lord, what do you have for me? And looking up those names, listen to these names. You know some of them, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, Isaiah. They all said, here I am. How about Ananias? Hey, Ananias, I've got a plan for you. Here I am, Lord. I want you to go take Saul, who's now Paul, and he's come to faith, and I want you to mentor him and bring him into your house. What? Aren't we glad? If God's not doing what we think he should do, then we've got to trust that what he, he's doing what he needs to do. So when he says, hey, then we get to jump in. Here I am, Lord. What's next? This is going to be exciting. I know what you're calling me to, but I know, A, your promises. B, I know what you're telling me to do, and I'll go do it. So what do you have for me? Because the next truth is this. When you and I can't connect A and B, rest in the knowledge that you don't have to, God can connect them. So just thank God for that. I know you said this. I know you're calling me to do this. I don't have any clue how those two are going to come together, but I don't have to figure that out. I trust this, and I will obey you in this. And somehow God's going to bring those together. Thirdly, when you see God provide Yahweh Yaira, identify it, call it out for what it is, and commemorate it so that you don't forget. Because in the, in the busyness of this life that we live, nothing will encourage you on your own to stop, rest, reflect, meditate, consider. You're going to have to seize those opportunities. Because there's another story in the Old Testament where there's this giant Philistine that comes and he's insulting and attacking the armies of God and attacking God. And a little shepherd boy named David shows up. And when they say, David, you can't fight him, you know what he did? The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion... The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You know what helped him fight the Philistine? It was the fact that he commemorated what God had done for him in the past. And church, we can always do better in reminding ourselves of this good God, Yahweh Yireh, who has never once failed you. He has never once failed me. Commemorate it. Call it out. You are Yahweh Yaira, and you showed up for me in this. And that's enough to help me get me through the next rainstorm because there's another one coming. And we can say, Lord, don't you care? And he would say, of course I care. 
I'm Yahweh Yireh. I'm the one that's providing for you in it. Now, wind, storm, calm down. This is my child whom I love dearly, and I'm riding with him through the storm. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.